This is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. And the topic is uh, alternate histories, uh, alternate universes, and it, right away I was, I was thinking of uh, The Man in the High Castle, which originally is a book by Philip K. Dick, and I don't think I read it. I knew of it. And I actually watched the adaptation. So this was for television slash a streaming um, service videos. And the notion there is that in this uh, alternate history, the... Um, the outcome of the world World War II was the opposite. So uh, the Germans won and the Japanese won, and they've divided up uh, the United States in half. Uh, one writer, I want to say their name is Brett, but I could be wrong about that. It sounds right. And uh, he's on Twitter, and he's doing... Or he he did one that had... George Washington uh, as a redcoat. So, so there's there's the. I sort of got the impression that it was sort of like a slight change, rather than a drastic one. But perhaps, in in context, perhaps it it is a drastic change. Why? Because of personal identity, as, as far as say, what is it, national identity. National identity, civic pride. So why do this thing? It is jarring, in the case of the man in the high castle, to see. Uh, to see things in a different way. It it, it challenges. It challenges. It, it sort of say makes you conscious, of where you are. So I guess it's that subjective objective difference subjective you know you can't see it because you're in it versus objective where you can see you're outside of it and sort of looking at this thing so uh, some some other ones i think the oldest one say for myself was watching uh, star trek the original uh, Star Trek with Kirk and Spock and McCoy and I'm just having a moment thinking about how it it could have been so different because there there was the character of um, number one who and two that the I think it's that the producers or studio the money didn't want a woman in in a commanding role and i th- i think it still would be it wouldn't be so cut and dry cuz i i watched this awesome documentary recently about sexism in the history of uh the production of star trek and say things like this skin tight suits you know and on one hand you go oh of course but on the other hand you know there's questions like well why 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 don't we see more people in those skin tight suits or I remember uh, I think it was in the Star Trek movie and I saw a Federation officer I think wearing a a tunic and it was it was basically a uh, a dress a short dress it's a man's dress uh so alternate yeah, okay back to alternate realities alternate universes and it, it, i th- i think the title had something to do with a mirror maybe through a mirror darkly uh, and the start uh the Starship Enterprise 
goes through into this other place and we experience uh, the Enterprise in a fascist, I guess, um, dictatorial version of it. And it was, it was weird. I remember being young and watching it. And there were things, say, changes to uniforms. Spock had facial hair. Little things that said, oh, this is different. Different ways of communicating. And yet it was not so different. It was actually... Like, say, to me, it wasn't such a huge step for Shatner's Captain Kirk to be uh, totalitarian, for, you know, to be uh, horrible. And th- that was interesting. It was like, oh, wow. It d- it d- that it doesn't take much. Like, say, what does it take for a person to uh, flip and to become... Uh, maybe say, more ego-driven than they were. Uh, That has been, as far as Star Trek goes, that's been revisited a number of times. Uh, Most recently in the <laughs> it was it was the most recent television star trek and and too we got a lot more we had uh individuals from that universe uh crossing over so actually having a a representative and I believe that, say, that person in our universe had actually passed away, but in this other universe, uh, that they had survived and flourished. Uh, one blip, uh, a memory of, of watching a show, it was a, it was a show called The Fringe. And at one point, we, we have this experience of somebody going to an alternate universe and encountering uh, Leonard Nimoy is, is playing, say, the representative from this other uh, universe. Just jumping back to the man in the high castle, the whole thrust of the show, like, say, where we are brought to, is the potential uh, for, these, for this successful fascism to transfer over into our universe. So it's a, you know, an invasion from another universe. And it sort of turns the invasion notion on its head because usually, say, we start off with we're here and then we get invaded. For some reason, I'm thinking of Buckaroo Banzai and this notion of uh, dimension. I still want to call things like, you know, alternate dimension, but, you know, in fact, that's not, that's not correct. But it's still there, that notion of, you know, another dimension. Alternate universes, parallel universes. So the historical. It was one, that was one thing that um, I wanted to take a look at, but I felt that I couldn't in what I was writing. So that's an interesting way to sort of explain it away. It's, it's, it's an interesting obstacle that one creates. He's like, well, I'm not working on that kind of a project. But still... The creativity is there, the interest, the inspiration. And every so often I'll go off and work on something that is 
uh, alternate history, alternate universe. So where does this come from? It's a, it's a weird notion. Uh, Michael Moorcock uh, came up with uh, what is it? Multi, multiverse, as a, as a sort of form of describing it. And I've 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 read other uh, pieces of fiction. I think Amber. There's a series called Amber that has has the same quality. This notion of that there's uh, multiple universes, and that say uh, these sort of powerful people will move back and forth uh, from these uh, places uh, you know, and control them or attempting to control them. So you have the, you know, the leader of one universe attacking another universe. Treating the universes as though they were uh, countries or continents. Empires. So it's like a universal empire. Uh, Moorcock came up with, I think he, the description, or at least you know, say the word multiverse, uh, at the same time as someone else, apparently. So say they share this, but I'm sure they're both sort of like, that's odd. Uh, it reminds me of something. There was a description of this island of monkeys. And uh, this study was done. And two, I've got to look it up. I'm sure I looked it up once, but I I would like to look it up again. And it was it was this notion of the these monkeys were divided by water that was impassable. They taught the monkeys in one on one island something, and then almost immediately the monkeys on this other island, uh, picked up. They started doing this thing. And, and the obvious is, oh, well, the monkeys were swimming back and forth. Uh, or say, could it be that, you know, there was some actual uh, aping going on? Like... Hoop, 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 hoop. Uh, that uh, inadvertently uh, showing the monkeys that you know that the monkeys were picking up little cues, say. Anyways, uh, interesting, interesting notion of you know people you know all around the world are doing things and we're sort of sharing these things. But along those lines, if that's the case, you know why aren't we speaking? All, why aren't we all speaking the same language? Why aren't we all? Um, you know, doing the same things, like say, if if that was the case, you know, why aren't our cultures and traditions exactly the same? So where were we? Oh yeah, it's kind of connected to the notion of alternate. You know that we have these differences. I was listening to an interview with Matt Hughes. And uh, as Matthew Hughes, he's gotten a book published. And I was at the uh, book launch and got to chat with him a bit. But in the interview with him that was on... uh, It was British, a British uh, radio station. And there was some talk. And then all of a sudden he said... uh, I think we're all the same person. And that really resonated with me. Just a sort of way to knock down all the barriers. And uh, it's like, well, you know, why should we treat each other like human beings? So why be interested in that? sort of idea um, of sameness because as the 
graffiti. I was just passing some wonderful graffiti a week or so ago that, uh, like, really great stuff. Uh, and it just, it said, celebrate diversity, and it's, like, wonderful angles and everything, and very, uh, very great message. Of course, you know, like, <laughs> although it is the imperative, but I, I can get by, by that. What is the imperative? The imperative is when you tell someone to do something, uh, instruct them, in, you know, that there's not really a, a choice involved. And so it's sort of dictatorial and common. But when you're looking at language, when you're looking at um, statements and things like that, it, it can be, a, a, let's see, what is it? A voice of authority, but also authoritarian. Anyways, uh, I take it as a suggestion. Why not celebrate diversity? Question mark. Uh, but there's also this question of sameness. We're all human beings. And viewing the world, say, you know, one perspective is, like, say, if you're taking a look at this notion of parallel worlds, universes, uh, parallel histories alternate histories that that one person could be say you know this endless expression of that of that one person throughout throughout time and place and in a sense it's true right all of the organisms on earth are interconnected um, we all come from the same stuff we are cousins. I saw someone um, writing, um, they, they had, I think it was like sexism, racism, and then speciesism. And of course there's other isms, like ageism. But with speciesism, I was like, oh, oh, well, that's interesting. And, and and just sort of like the thought of... For me, I go to that creature that was crawling out of the ocean. Those first creatures, that for, first sort of branching... Uh, what would those be called? Where the, Like frogs, who are able to exist on land and in, in water. And then we have this division into mammals and uh, reptiles. Okay, so I think I keep thinking I'm seeing mist, but I don't think it's mist. Um, right. So alternate alternate timeline, alternate history. One thing that I wanted to explore uh, I'm trying to think of it so just several times uh, playing around with how things have turned out and say what if you change one thing uh, I was talking with one guy, Joseph Cassidy and we ended up talking about it was interesting because he, you know, he wasn't interested in some stuff that I was interested in. Uh, we're, I think we were looking for common ground. And there was sort of, you know, he didn't want to get into certain things. But what the thing we did get in, talking about, say, energy, was talking about um, uh, chemical uh, forms of energy. Like, are there, like, say, that you get uh, power through chemical reaction. And one example was... Uh, I think it's called the Stirling engine. And it's essentially a steam engine. And 
if memory serves correct, it, it's using uh, chemistry to power the engine you, to, to create the pressure to turn the <laughs> I want to say generator and to it, w- it would get yeah, it would get to that point but, the, but that's a great example of you know, what if one discovery, a scientific discovery is, happens what if we discovered fusion before uh, say you know, gasoline powered engines um, using petroleum what if you know, it's you know, so we have a bunch of people who are um, an earth that is using fusion power uh, like say, it's been predicted but what if we end up using it way ahead of time and uh, what, how would that shape what would it allow us to do you, you know, you can bet your uh, you can bet your bippy that it's going to be uh, used in some way for uh, military even if it's just a, to power things like submarines and tanks and uh, would we have it's a strange thing because we, we actually don't have atomic energy what we do is we have um, radioactive material that is used for steam engines like you know you're dropping you're heating up water basically uh, so instead of coal we're using what uranium do, do, do. Okay. I I like even taking it back farther. I used to watch a show called... Um, oh, no. It was sort of like they had a kind of uh, tunnel that they would jump through. And each episode, they would arrive and they would leave. But they would end up in... They were always looking to come back here, right, to our universe... Uh, but uh, they ended up, you know, in these alternate universes. Say much like, you know, the uh, the mirror universe of Star Trek, you know. But but that there's many, many, many of them. And I, I'm. It was it was an interesting show, because, and they had it was something like uh, sliders. That's what it was called. It was called sliders, I think. And they were sliding through time. But the thing I got excited about were these, this universe that had uh, kind of a bit sort of in between, kind of a missing link. They were apes that were becoming uh, human. But also, too, that they had this fascist society. So once again, we get to explore uh, uh, fascism even though we're not in it, although, you know, some people question that. And this is a perfect opportunity to, uh, to explore and to say, you know, well, is there a difference? Um, right, yeah. So that's a great, you know, use of alternate history, alternate uh, universes. Uh, yeah to, you know, take a mirror, look at it, um, compare, contrast. Also, too, what about... Now, I want to take it to the extreme of... So it's all of um, utopia. Because that's something that I haven't seen. And it that it is in the opposite way, that say... As we look upon this utopia, that we could see the potential, and that in it we, the reflection we see is something better, say. But also, what if it's that it's it gets rid of it identifies, and gets rid of say problems. So, how so? What do I mean? 
Uh, I was just... <laughs> I was listening to the first... The opening of Brave New World just a little while ago. And I, I, I couldn't stomach it. I was like, okay, you know, I think that's enough. And two, I, I've actually read it a long time ago. And this just brought it flooding back. Uh, I'm just thinking, too, it was an unfortunate read for, for where I was at uh, when I was reading it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't understand everything fully. Which is an interesting sort of like, you know, <laughs> why, Moss? I think it's an important book, but I also think it's an un unfortunate book. Uh, I didn't like what I saw in the mirror. And I'm, you know, anyways, let's move on. So say what, for example, uh, like say right away, like say, uh, you know, we encounter a place where they've eliminated war, poverty, suffering, and uh, in 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 that realm of suffering, um, medical suffering, uh, mental health, uh, surgery. There's a kind of Star Trek Trek quality to um, the health system. And Uh, as 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 we're encountering this, so uh, as alternate, then it would be that say the future here. I'm thinking of my own city of Vancouver, and just that that there was this. Um, what would it have taken in history to alter, and uh, so that so that say I could have that utopia. And two, looking at it and going, well, why don't I have that utopia? Um, I've mentioned this before, but utopia is not the actual word to use. It has become that. It has, you know, now it be, means perf perfect place, kind of paradise. But where it comes from is, it literally means no place. And when it was first used in context... As, as a name for this imaginary place that Thomas Moore was writing about, it didn't have that the context it does now. Uh, and to if you read Utopia, it's not perfect. Uh, there's and to what it is is it's a criticism of England. I think I'm I think I'm pulling that together right. I'm pretty sure. Um, I have read it. I took a class in it. And I liked it because, you know, w within that um, experience for me, you know, of unpacking this thing and talking about, you know, the, the tradition that he's writing to and uh, concealing the critique and... Uh, why it is written in the way it is written. As I, I'm saying that, I'm going, wait a second, I have a lot more to look at if, if I was to sit down and unpack. Um, because it was only cursory. I didn't get a chance to really uh, dig into it. So that's on my plate. Alternate worlds, alternate histories. So what's the takeaway from, from, from doing this? Part of it has to do with looking at, um, in, in a sense, say, yeah, standing outside, having the, what is it called? The outside, thinking outside the box, the... the having the objective versus the subjective. But why isn't it enough just to have, say, fantasy? Or, say, science fiction? 
into uh, you know alternate worlds that does fall under often and it falls under science fiction man in the high castle for example one of the differences I noticed when they did the adaptation for television was for the man in the high castle was that it had gone from a a book that was talking about this other reality where the Nazis had lost our reality and in the adaptation they had uh, changed it from a book to a film and it was uh, reel to reel so you know old old film projector and it, it made sense it was a, a, a different medium and I could imagine the filmmakers sort of seeing this it was just sort of a natural progression book for book film for film uh, so why do this thing In, in my case, I'm interested in turning it upside down. Uh, part of it for myself to sort of see, see what it would be like. I'm interested in that. It's, say, a, a, a lot is similar, but at the same time, so much is different. It, it depends on when uh, the history diverges. If, if that's what's going on. And, and as I'm thinking, it's like, well, alternate worlds. I'd mentioned sliders before, and that had a huge amount of diversity. Let's say some, sometimes it was extreme differences, and then other times it was hard to tell. Uh, it was close enough, and the main characters in the show would do things like they would decide, okay, well, that's it. This is good enough. I'm close enough to home and, uh, you know, I'm going to... <laughs> it was probably like a, an actor deciding, okay, I'm going to... It's time for me to be written out. Or is it too? It's more likely that, you know, it's the writers of the show deciding, okay, we're going to move on. In a sense, we are creating realities when we do, say, storytelling through books or film videos. And we're talking about a place that doesn't exist. And we're inviting others to engage in it. And that there's something important going on. This, uh, the hope the wonder, uh, say, like the heroic qualities of some kind of space opera, um, you know, epic stories with big stuff going on, and we're right there in the middle. You know, suddenly the ordinary world has been tipped upside down, and we find ourselves there in it, and right in the middle of it. Uh, that we are experiencing the, the characters that are the movers and the shakers rather than, you know, the person who's on the outermost fringe of the experience reading a newspaper. Oh, look! You know, the battle in Mordor is going well. But it, it is like we are uh, working on parallel worlds. My, my own interest in perception, I think that actually that's a, that's a big part of it, if I'm not walking over my own uh, feet, <laughs> stepping on my own feet, that, that's, that, yeah, my interest is in these different perspectives, something like, like the political landscape, where we have differing points of view, 
and siding with your team, that your political party, it almost becomes a sport. There's a lot of similarities. And then, of course, two differences. The, uh, probably the athletics of the rhetorical. But I'm interested in say, you know, that like, I have my city, I have the place where I live, and it's one version. I see it a certain way, and uh, just the other day I was talking about an, an ethnic, it was a European city, and we are just short discussion about, like say, at, at what point does ethnicity cease to exist? Because you have the ethnicity of, let's say, um, what's that Dutch... Amsterdam. So you have Amsterdam, and that say there's people who claim this long lineage, and then but you have then say people who are maybe half Dutch, or maybe not even you know Dutch at all, but you know say that they were born in Amsterdam, and you know say to 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 what degree does that person say that you can there's that word, identify, and that, you know, it's part of your um, identity, and yet you find yourself in conflict over the issue. Uh, Just a little while ago, I had, uh, there were signs being put up in in a different language. I was in a shop, and I noticed this sort of subtle transition And I think that it's it's sort of like a um, a kind of comforting thing. It's comforting. It's welcoming. But it was sort of like just just this little bit of a change. And in my mind, I was thinking it sort of it sort of goes both ways. There's there's a huge uh, number of ways to see Vancouver to experience Vancouver. Uh, what it means, uh, how one is positioned in, in the landscape. So that's my interest in looking at alternate versions. Um, I am interested, but at the same time, there's this uh, difficulty in doing that. Uh, why? It's, say, similar to writing uh, dis- disabled characters, minority characters, even characters who are not, say, a character who's in the majority. Uh, somebody might look at me and go, oh, boss, you're in the majority. But that's, that's only part of the story, right? You know, I can pass, you know, but I'm, I am in a minority. Oh, boss, let's not split hairs. Um, so, yeah. So, I guess it's say that to stand outside and observe differences, to have characters go through this as well, that they, they come from the same place, but they are different. That, that they are seeing it different. So, they are the same people, but just seeing it differently. Um, they, you know, they've grown up with different religions and different ideologies. As I'm saying this, I'm going, oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of... You know, but of course, with world building, you don't have to do everything, but you have to do enough to carry it off, you know, to create this feeling like, ah, yes, you know, it's not, it's not just a stage... But it's the characters who are inhabiting the stage. They bring it to life and talk about what what lies beyond the walls. I was reading 
I think I've mentioned this before, uh, Argentinian writer, and, and I was critiquing him, I'm trying to remember the name, but I, I was critiquing him and uh, sort of going right for it and saying, well, this is, he was a, he was a European Argentinian, and his, that's his focus. And right there is an argument as well as, no, there's, you know, scenes from Argentine, but it's a, it's a kind of Argent, uh, Argentine, not Argentina. It's not uh, the full and the complete. And it, it echoed my experience of being, uh, uh, being in Vancouver because it's not the complete uh, story. It's not everything. It's almost like we're living in bubbles, and sometimes these bubbles will uh, interact and cross over. Uh, and unfortunately, there's uh, centrism, uh, which I, I know from uh, Eurocentrism, but there's many types of centrism. Uh, and two, of course, you know, religious racial centrism. And the more I go along, the more I'm, I'm seeing it. So, is it, is it a criticism? Is, you know, is that what is going on? Alternate, alternate worlds, alternate histories, alternate universes... A lot of what we are doing is criticism. It really, say for me, it feels like that that's the best uh, when when we are doing a critique, even if it's just to examine it under the microscope, some social situation. I think I was mentioning Brave New Worlds a, a while ago, and. Just that there's this argument going on of, you know, what would a utopia look like and to what degree would it distance itself from what we are doing now. I was just thinking of uh, the reproductive narrative that we engage in from childhood and to, I keep coming back to this. Sort of, of, of course, we do this, we promote it, because uh, it's what we do. It's how we exist. But Brave New Worlds turns this upside down. And there's this efficiency. There's this kind of 1984... I think the language in 1984 was called INSOC. Uh, but there it, it was this notion that you could say... You could be more efficient with language and get rid of a lot of words and just narrow things down. Eliminate the complexity, and so it's just pure communication without uh, elaboration. <clears throat> no more Baroque descriptions, right? No more um, purple prose. Uh, but the the brave new way, the, the brave new world, it's one that is, uh, on one hand it's foreign, but on another hand it just resonated. It, it sort of felt like, you know, oh yes, you know, this is, this is a logical um, progression. Yeah, horrifying, uh, but it's not too far-fetched. Uh, there, and two, there is this science at work. There are these strange connections as well to our world. Uh, there's, there's this refrain of Georgie Porgy that, that is going on you know, later on in the opening of the book. And... And that, as well, that was disturbing because, uh, you know, I know that uh, it's, it's yeah, a nursery rhyme, you know, so I know it and, you know, I know it, I've heard it, 
and all of a sudden it's it, it has this creepy quality to it as as it's being um, turned inside out and made into something different. All of our uh, all of our problems are addressed. Not really, but I mean. Uh, in a sort of Freudian sense. I'm just thinking of it now, going, yeah, it is actually really Freudian. Uh, yeah. And so there's this, there's this addressing of our world, and uh, there's, this, there's this conflict immediately. For the, say, for the reader, it's like, you know, yeah, you're, you've got this magic lens, and you're able to look to this other place and what's going on. <clears throat> as far as fiction, and even non-fiction, there's this subtlety of uh, choice, this subtlety of... It's also living out a, a fantasy. It's, it's about... Uh, f- is it called wish fulfillment, in a sense? Especially for the writer... Uh, for me, I get to experience something that doesn't exist. I get to create something. Uh, initially for myself, the experience of this other place, of these other people. And, and yet there is this resistance to that. Uh, sometimes it's upsetting. Sometimes there's these walls that are in the way, that are imposed, that I'm struggling against. And as one person said, uh, you know, get out of your way. <laughs> uh, and, and two, to sort of have that moment of realizing, you know, oh, it's me. I'm the one causing the problem. Like, I'm the one slowing things down. I'm, I'm getting in the way. But that there's this rejection uh, of and, and it it is like culture shock that say one's natural go-to as far as say like the internal editor it is uh, conforming and to it of course it depends on on what your normal is and what your normal is and you're comfortable there's this subtle difference um, besides bowing in, in Korea, and, and that, that was my big um, experience with uh, culture shock. Uh, but just one subtle example of body language and different meaning is the gesture to come here. If you, if, if you do it the, um, I'm going to say the North American way, I know it's the European way, uh, especially the, the, the British, uh, you know, gesture, which is, you know, you have the hand palm upright and then you, you pull towards you, kind of curling the, f- the fingers as you pull. And that's actually an insult in Korea. And I was instructed to um, put my hand down and then do the same motion. Uh, yeah, and then there was something else about if the hand is raised when you're saying when you're gesturing, come here. That is sort of like to a dog, but if it's down, then it's it's appropriate. Uh, perhaps it has something to do with um, you know communicating with elders, perhaps. And two, there are all of those subtleties that probably exist in North American that in Korean uh, don't. So that we are doing things just it's a different way. It's subtle that say, you know, I'm not aware of but say a, a Korean coming over here or say that there's some sort of, you know, business or um, yeah, say, say there's some sort of business deal. And there would be this weird kind of, sort of like say you're not sure whether to hug someone or shake their hand 
or bow, and on and on and on. You know, do you do the namaste, right? Do you, do you put your hands together <laughs> and, and bow or nod? And two, in Korea, there's, there's uh, degrees of bowing, right? So you do a little bow, then you respect the person a little bit. But if you go all the way... Uh, and two, I've got to say, all the way is actually... It, it, it's, it's to family, I, I believe, like that you show the ultimate respect by going down on your knees and then bowing. So you're completely down, and uh, this is, you know, the ultimate respect you show to your family. Different worlds. And yet we're on the same world. So we don't really have to go to too far to have uh, such an experience. Uh, Some of my neighbors are from... Sri Lanka and they've got accents but their their daughter to my mind doesn't I believe that you know their daughter was born here but they, but they have you know accents the English is pretty good and, and you know I've never had a, a moment to my knowledge where we're not communicating I'm sure that some things I'm saying are lost and vice versa, that my interpretation, say, would get lost. Vancouver has a dialect, and it's, it's, it's just like any North American dialect, but we have certain phrases and certain words that are unique. Uh, and two, there, it's probably Pacific Northwest. And one example is the word skookum. <coughs> which means strong. And I've encountered this with people uh, around North America. They speak English, but, you know, they've got words that are... I don't know what they mean. I can can assume from context, or I can say from context, I can figure it out. Ah, they're angry. (laughs) They're critiquing, so they're sort of... Uh, slagging someone else, giving them a hard time. Alternate worlds. So let's say that it's about juxtaposition. So juxtaposition, again, is where you have two things, and through compare and contrast, you create a third thing that the compare and contrast is the third thing, and that, that something happens. Uh, let's see, can we say that it's a synthesis? Even if these, there's this huge contrast between them, still in that juxtaposition that that is a synthesis. Um, so you could have, and I'm just taking this to the, to the nth degree, and okay, you have your climax, you don't necessarily have to have a synthesis, you know, where two sides make peace. Uh, but it, it's just, say, in the knowing and the contrast uh, and the comparing that that's, that's where it comes about. So I'm looking at the alternate worlds and going, ah, well, you know, that's what's going on. It's interesting, too. I'm going, but that's obvious. Come on, Moss. Go deeper. Go farther. Culturally, um, culturally is personal, and so you can go outside of your culture, but you're still constrained by it. Uh, so, and two, it's a sticky thing. Uh, I'm sitting here with some of my writing and going, I've got to show this to people who uh, can tell me better if I've represented. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm thinking that I know or I feel that there's a lot that is, uh, like, say, you know, good intentions. But I was seeing a Twitter the other day where 
uh, someone was slamming settlers. And I was in this frame of mind of, oh, aren't settlers good? Because settlers are, uh, they were saying, this was a while ago, and they were saying, and by settlers I mean people who identify as uh, original uh, colonists, you know, people who had come over from the Mayflower and after. Uh, but also, to, that they view that their relationship, say, with First Nations people especially, that they have a obligation, that they have a, a, a relationship, a cultural relationship. You know, say, in, in, in response to racism and in response to cultural genocide, etc., etc. So I, I was sitting here going, you know, oh... Settlers sound okay. But then I, I read this critique, which is, uh, which was basically, it, it doesn't negate, it doesn't negate hundreds of years of, of abuse, and it doesn't negate everything that happens. All of a sudden, you know, you're a great person because you're identifying this way. I will save you. That's what it was. It was, I will save you, right? The, the settle, and I, right there, there's this other perspective. And two, that I felt it. You know, I felt, yeah, as someone with, you know, a colonial past, uh, with family that did come over from the Mayflower, I, I saw that and went, yeah, that's, that's me. But at the same time, this notion of identifying, I had a distance with it. Because it's sort of like, it, this feels like something that has just been invented. And that what it's doing is it's categorizing, it's splitting, you know, okay, we're not like them. It's like, well, well, you are. You know, you're, you're very white, and you're very um, privileged. <laughs> and... Uh, and so on and so forth. And I remember this was this was I guess um, a couple months ago, maybe with within the past year, all of a sudden settlers appeared, and their offer was, "Hey, First Nations, if you if you have a problem, you know, just use the hashtag." Settlers? It was something like that. And we'll show up, right? And we'll defend you. But the critique, say this week, that I read uh, from, it was Canadian First Nations, was saying, no, you know, we can, we can defend ourselves. <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> but again, it's a critique. And I think there's a time and a place uh, for the for the people, you know, who are making that offer, and to get back to the alternate. Uh, that's the difficulty with rolling these notions uh, around the notion of ourself, the notion of the we self. Uh, ourselves, that there are different ways to see the same thing. Uh, even that action can come under fire that, say, there's literature that's 50 years old, even literature that's 20 years old, that is under the gun, under the scrutiny of you know, well, you know, what is it saying? What is it promoting? My own is 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 mental health. It's like, well, what is what is the mental health being promoted? I'll read some older sci-fi, for example, that is uh, that I, I I can read the author. That I can I can feel the author just bleeding through this is them this is this is 
this is uh, how they view themselves. This is the normality of it. And that's that's difficult. Say, especially when you're you know attempting to you know, come from a balanced place, and you have this huge bias. So I, I guess it's that say, also too, that there's this reflection. Uh, another example is, uh, there's this song, I think it's called Baby It's Cold Outside, or It's Cold Outside, something like that. Christmas song, I think it's Bill, Bill, I want to say Bill Cosby, uh, Bing Crosby. And it sounds like... Uh, a woman wants to leave, and a man is saying, stay. And there's this critique, but it's a, it's a good example. And really, all, all ballads can fall under the, uh, the critique of uh, codependency. Do we really need other people? <laughs> Uh, can't we be interdependent instead of codependent? So let's see, how are we doing? Oh. Thanks for listening, and take care.